0: Welcome to this special popcorn episode of For the Love of Podcast. In this episode, we're going to highlight a lot of the concepts we covered in our last episode with sponsorship expert Linda Hollander. The reason why I wanted to do this is I wanted to unpack some of the things that we talk about and really dive a bit deeper, and I want to share some of the insights that we didn't really cover in depth on the show, and I want to cover some of the insights that we didn't get a chance to talk about that I gained by reading her book. First a definition, Linda defines a sponsor as a company who gives money and resources to connect them with people who buy things. One of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of common mistakes people make when it comes to landing sponsorship deals. The first of which that she mentions is that typically people don't ask for enough. Another thing she said is that podcasters only tend to look at things one dimensionally And only talk about podcast numbers. What we discussed in the show is that we should really be thinking of it like we're a media company, not just a podcast. So, what does that mean exactly? Well, that means that yes, you have the podcast, and that is a great and important part of who you are as a media company, but you also have your social media accounts, you also have speaking engagements, you also have other kinds of media outlets. You also may be a writer. You may make videos. I mean, think of all the things you do to put yourself out there. Think of all the things you create that other people consume. And each one of those is another component of your media company. Another mistake she highlights is people don't communicate enough. We're going to get into this in a minute, but this is a huge aha moment for me And that, yes, it's a relationship that you're building with your sponsors. And so the more you can let them know what you're doing to support them and to create value for them, the more likely you'll have a very long and healthy relationship with that sponsor. One of the things she talks about a lot is the fact that the proposal really matters and that a lot of times people aren't using industry standard proposals. And the problem with that is that you may not get a second shot. So if you send them a proposal and it doesn't meet the mark and it's clear that you don't know what you're doing, chances are you're not going to get a do-over. So now that I've outlined a lot of the common mistakes, let's talk about what needs to happen to avoid them. Linda breaks up her book into three distinct steps. The first step is to prepare. So what goes into preparing is understanding who your potential sponsors are. And she suggests creating a wish list. She says one of the biggest mistakes people make is that their wish list is just way too small and it's way too limited in thinking. Meaning, just because you have a niche-oriented podcast doesn't mean you need to be limited to that specific niche. So don't limit your thinking when it comes to who goes on that wish list. Yes, you want to have people within your niche, of course, but go broader than that. Think outside the box. Don't limit it just to people in that very specific and potentially limited group of potential sponsors. Take your time with this and take your time with the prep in general. Linda says that the time spent learning and preparing could make the difference between failure and success in the sponsor game. And so take time to understand the companies you're going to be reaching out to get crystal clear on the value that you could provide for them, and then you'll be far better set up to create a compelling proposal that will be attractive to them. There's a lot more that goes into the first step, but I want to dive into step two, and I want to spend some time here because this is where I think it really comes together because step two is propose. And I'll just say it again because it bears repeating. Most people fail by not sending an industry standard sponsor proposal. So I'm going to outline what she shares in her book as the recipe for creating an industry standard sponsor proposal. Okay, the first thing that she says is it should be written in the third person, meaning not me speaking in first person, I, Billy, want this because I, Billy, need this, more my media company, meaning it should be written as though somebody else wrote it for the company. I think there's some psychology there, but it makes sense. If it seems like you're a solo operation, they may not take you as seriously. Okay. Next thing is a cover page. And so she outlines what goes into the cover page in the episode very well. So I'm not going to dive too deep now, but you should have a cover page. And one of the things that she says, it should be crystal clear what specific value you will provide to that sponsor also in the proposal should be a story. And she breaks this up in two ways. There should be a story about the podcaster, a story about you. And there should be a description of what she calls the property or the media company. And so let's talk about you first. She thinks that the you story should be transformational in nature. Now, maybe it's very vulnerable or maybe it has some vulnerable moments within it. But she says, basically, these are human beings reading these proposals. So human beings relate to other human beings. So guess what? Be a human being. Let that vulnerable side shine through and you're going to win them over because you're going to be a human being first. As far as the description of the property, it should be very clear what the organization is all about. And She suggests including the mission statement. How do you make a difference in the world? One of the biggest takeaways I had from the book when it comes to the proposal is just how critical it is to include the demographics. When I say demographics, don't be confused. This shouldn't be just the age, just the sex, or even just the career. No, it should include buying habits. It should include income bracket. It should include educational background. Yes, it should also include occupation. It should include marital and family status, diversity, and psychographics. I love this because the psychographics is really the type of consumer, the type of buyer this person is. Why and how do they make the decisions that they make? And so I get it. This may be a little bit more than what you have immediately, but it's a good goal to get to the point where you understand who your listeners are so well that you can actually put down on paper within a proposal, all of those things. And yes, you still should include the age and the sex and all those other things. Another thing that she says to include in your proposal are testimonials. So what are people saying about your business? What are people saying about your media company? This is a great way to include some social proof and to create some credibility and to validate who you are or who I should say, or who your organization is. Of course, one of the key points of the proposal is what are the sponsor benefits. And I mentioned this when talking about the cover page, but there should be a section which really clearly lists how the sponsor will benefit. And this is where you go back to the part 1 and you think about all the research you did, all the legwork you did to understand the companies and to know what will they be most excited about? in terms of how you can help support them. Remember, it's about them, not you. She also mentions that if you have an advisory board to include that. I think this is really ingenious because if you have people within your orbit, they're supporting your media company, they're supporting your podcast, and in some way they advise you, include them in your proposal. Because again, this is a full package. This is not just you and your podcast. This is a whole media entity, including everyone that supports that media entity. One of the things that she did say that I thought was really interesting is that she suggests to not make all of this information visible on a public website, that it should be protected and not visible, which I thought was really, really interesting. I'm not sure exactly why she feels that's so important, but I do think it's probably a good idea to follow her advice considering how many people she's helped land sponsorship deals. Another thing that she talks about is how you will activate once the agreement is in effect. How will you actually put into play all the ideas that you have? And so get crystal clear on that. Have a strategy, have a very, very specific approach. So, are you going to put a certain amount of videos out or social media posts? or written articles, or podcasts, or all the different things that you're going to do, make sure you have a clear strategy. Which brings me to part three, promote. So promote is the last step that she mentions in her book. Before we get into all the specific ways in terms of how you promote that specific brand, I did want to take a moment to talk about the agreement itself. Emphasis on the word agreement. She suggests using that word as opposed to a contract. So she has a one-page agreement. She suggests going for a one-year sponsorship deal. She says renewals are like a cash machine. She advises getting one year in one lump sum, which I thought was really good advice and makes a ton of sense. You don't have to worry about collecting. And if you can't get at least one lump sum, at least do it quarterly and make sure you have some sort of payment arrangement that makes sure that that payment's going to go in automatically. You could do a credit card, you could do automatic payment, but make sure that it's set up. The last thing you want is to chase people down for sponsorship money. So in terms of promoting, the main thing I want to talk about is the difference between informal and formal sponsorship relations. So informal would be non-planned, ongoing touch points where you can casually, and emphasis on the word casually, casually let your sponsor know How you're providing value for them. It could be a picture of a post you put out. It could be an interview that you did on a podcast. It could be an event that you did anything and everything that you think your sponsor would be interested in learning about. And so the advice that Linda has, and I absolutely love this, is to document everything. Take pictures, write notes, keep a journal, do whatever it takes to make sure that you don't miss opportunities to share how you're helping your sponsor. Now, I want to be clear. They are busy. They have stuff going on. So you don't want to be so over the top, constantly bombarding them with informal communication that they basically tune you out or worse yet, get frustrated at over communication. So have some sense on what is too much, but be consistent. Send them stuff on a very regular basis to make sure that you're top of mind and that they see just how much energy and effort you're putting in to promoting them. The other type of sponsor relations is formal communication, which means you have something set in stone where you will present to them some kind of report or breakdown that has a comprehensive look of what you're doing to support them. As part of that, you should have a fulfillment report, And the fulfillment report will break down with pictures and screenshots and all sorts of very clear metrics and ways in which you have supported that company and delivered on the goals that you set off to achieve. Again, one of the most common mistakes. Don't just take money from your sponsor and then go AWOL. Nobody wants to pay a lot of money and then have that person that received the money disappear. So at least every quarter, submit this fulfillment report. It should include data, photos, and anything else that's going to help clearly illustrate what you are doing on their behalf. It should be part of your regular routine and must never be missed. And also remember, it's all about the relationship. Meaning, get to know them, understand them, ask them questions, and... One of those questions should be feedback. The last thing you want is for them to hold resentment or be unsatisfied in some way, and they just hold it in. They got other stuff going on. It's not top of mind. And so they never tell you that they're frustrated because you did X, Y, or Z. Or maybe they don't feel like you're holding up on your end of the bargain, but you're in the dark and you don't know that. So incorporate a feedback mechanism into your communication strategy. And again, this will likely be different for different sponsors. The better you get to know them, the deeper you build that relationship, the easier it will be for you to know what's going to be best for them. If I could boil down everything and give you one insight to take away, is it really is all about the relationships. So I hope you enjoyed this popcorn episode. I hope you got some value out of it. I really wanted to share some of the golden nuggets and some of the key insights and takeaways that I got from not only the conversations I had with Linda, but also from reading her books. If you missed my interview, definitely go check that out and go check out next week's episode, which is with high performance voice coach, Emanuela Grace. If you ever wanted to explore the world of the voice and understand how it works, both from a psychological perspective and a physiological perspective, then I think you will love that episode. As usual, that one will drop next Monday. So check it out. And remember, until next time, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.